Please rise as you are able as we receive the gospel lesson this day. And this lesson comes from the gospel according to St. John, the third chapter and beginning at the first verse. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you all in peace from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of peace. Amen. I'm accused by my fellow pastors of being the liturgical snob. You know, I'm, I'm the one who worries about what color is on the front of the altar and the passage of the seasons as we, we go through the liturgical year. And we've just changed seasons. I mean, we've spent seven weeks in the Easter season, culminating last week with our celebration of Pentecost. And this week we begin a season that, yeah. It sort of lacks for a name. We commonly call it the season after Pentecost. And and some other churches will call it ordinary time. But the truth is, it's it's the time of the church from now stretching all the way through uh, most, if not all, of November when we talk about our lives and, and how they touch one another and especially how our life is to be lived in communion with the Lord. So we come this week to this first week of this new season, this season after Pentecost, and it begins with a festival known as Holy Trinity Sunday. That's this week, Holy Trinity. Now I'll tell you a secret. You can't tell anybody else, especially those people on the internet, right? Most preachers do not like preaching about the Trinity. 
I'm not pointing fingers at my brothers here in the staff. I'm just saying, generally, most of us don't like talking about that. And that's because the concept of the Trinity is both difficult to understand and it's even more difficult to explain. Now, in the good old days, I refer to, you know, my youth as back then. In those good old days, many of the pastors in my congregation in Florida was one of them the pastor on Holy Trinity Sunday would insist that we say the Athanasian Creed. Now, in our church, we profess three creeds, two of which you're very familiar with, I'm sure. The Apostles' Creed that you see most weeks, the Nicene Creed you see occasionally, and then this other one called the Athanasian Creed. It's not used much nowadays, and there's a reason for it. If you've never encountered it, you can look in those LBW hymnals that have suddenly made their appearance in front of you, And on page 54, all the way down page 54 in two columns, and in page 55, two more columns, is the Athanasian Creed. To say it's long is an understatement. The creed is so long that when congregations used to say that creed, there wasn't much time left for a sermon, which was the whole point of pastors assigning that for Holy Trinity Sunday. Anyhow, I've come to think that the Trinity is better experienced by folks like us than it is described or defined. So, apologies at the beginning as I try to skate between definition and experience in what I have to say that follows. Consider this. One of the things that every member of the Christian family, and I mean every member, is called to do is to go to another person who is hurting someone who needs the comfort of a loving person because one of their relatives or someone close to them has become one of the saints, has gone forward to God's glory, lives now in God's kingdom. Their earthly time has come to an end. We all know of times like that. We've all experienced them and we've all gone to comfort others who have experienced them as well. Some years ago in another place, I had the opportunity to participate in the celebration of a life of one of God's saints. And one, as it happens, uh, as part of the service, there was a grandson of the man who had just died, and he offered a wonderful story that illustrates, I think, the nature of our triune God. This young man stood up at his his grandfather's funeral, and he told the story of a fictitious man perhaps, or maybe a man he knew. It was hard to tell. But this man approached his pastor, and he was really bothered and had an anxious look on his face. The man finally said to his pastor, Sir, I have what seems to be a a silly question to a man of your profession, but this question has been just eating at my soul and tugging at my heart. And that pastor was kind and he was patient. And he urged the man that when he was ready, just go ahead and and voice his question as as it came to him. And the man finally blurted out, why is it, why is it, bless you, that an all powerful and ever loving God allows pain and sorrow and suffering in the world that he created? 
This experienced pastor had heard that kind of question several times before, and it was always a struggle to find just the right answer. But it occurred to the pastor to approach it a little differently this time. So he asked the man in front of him several questions. He began with, do you, do you have a child? And the man said, yes, I have a son. And he said, do you allow your son to ride a skateboard? Yes, was the answer. Do you provide with your child with all the safety equipment that he will need? Do you make sure he has a safe place to ride? Do you teach the boy about the dangers of the world like cracks in the sidewalk or oncoming traffic in the streets? Do you do all that you can to watch over your child as he rides that skateboard so that you are close by should anything happen? And the man's answer to each and every one of these questions was a firm yes. So then, asked the pastor of the man, even though you love your child, do you ultimately turn him loose in the world to try to succeed with his skateboard with inventive new tricks and to suffer the inevitable skinned knee from time to time that comes with that sort of effort? Or do you lock him in his bedroom to ensure his safety? The man hesitated. But he admitted that he did allow the boy to go out and and to live life. And then the pastor said, God loves us just as you love your child. But God has also turned us loose to skin our knees and to succeed in life. A loving patient, or excuse me, a loving parent always knows both how to protect and to let go of the children they love. That may be a bit simplistic, but it begins to crack open the box. You see, we we cannot fully know God's purposes as, as we live in this world. We lack the ability to fully know God. And that's because we are not gods ourselves, and we never will be. We are simply God's created creatures. But God has graced us with intellect and, and inquisitive natures. And so we ask questions about this relationship we have with our Lord. We strain to understand the world and the God who created it. However, some things like the nature of God remain beyond our understanding. These things are mysteries. We are reduced to explaining the mysteries of God with stories like the one the young man offered at his grandfather's funeral. We do that in order to make God somewhat understandable in our own terms, relative to our own lives. So again, today, bless you, today we come to the point of celebrating the Holy Trinity. It is, the Trinity, that is, is another of the great divine mysteries. And so I've been challenged this week to explain the reality of the Trinity to you in terms as eloquent as those offered by that young man at his grandfather's funeral long ago. So I turned to some of the most learned theologians the world has known. The first one is a name you may not know. His name is Frederick Bosch. And he once said this about the Trinity. Absorb this carefully. There are probably a number of people who imagine that the idea of the Trinity, Trinity was thought up by some ivory tower theologians who typically were making things more complicated than they needed to be and were obscuring the simple faith of of regular believers. In fact, 
it seems that the process worked pretty much the other way around. Practicing believers and worshipers were driven by their experiences of God's activity to the awareness that God related in several different ways to his creation. And so what these believers came to insist upon was that God had to be recognized as being in different forms of relationship with the creation. And he did so in ways at least like different persons. And that all these ways are divine, that is, are of God. Yet there could not be three gods. God to be the biblical God and the only God of all had to be one God. This complex and profound faith was then handed over to the theologians for them to try to make more intelligible. And they've been trying ever since. Got all that? Is it clear as mud to everybody? Let me offer some more succinct quotations. This one from John John Wesley. He said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a human being and I will show you a human being that can comprehend the triune God. And even more colorfully, no series of quotes from great church, church thinkers would be complete without one from our brother Martin Luther who said this in his own inimitable fashion. To try to deny the Trinity endangers your salvation. To try to comprehend the Trinity endangers your sanity. So says Martin. And so no, brothers and sisters, we cannot fully comprehend the mystery that is God. We understand our relationship with God. And it's one of being like the love that comes from a loving parent. And down through the ages, we've come to describe our one God with a three-part name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our acknowledgement of God as that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mean that the mystery beyond us, the mystery among us, and the mystery within us, these are all the same mystery. In a way, the Trinity is saying something about us. The Trinity is saying something about the way we experience God. When we come to worship, we experience that mystery in several ways. As part of our worship service this morning, we'll pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith as as our vicar offers those prayers. Some of these good people on the list that God reads for us this morning are struggling with one aspect of life or another. Others are having a wonderful time of life and ask for thanksgiving for all of God's blessings. For each of these people, we pray in essence that God will give them protective pads to safeguard their joints and and that God will teach them to live well in this world and in doing so has pointed out the cracks in the sidewalk and, and the traffic that approaches. And also that God has provided them with a the wonderful creation full of opportunity that each of us enjoy. We pray that the skateboards of these wonderful people will joyfully take them rolling out into life. And when they fall once in a while, may each of these people rest assured that God's church is here for them just as God's church is here for you to pick us all up and heal us all from our wounds. Time after time in the history of our congregation, children of God, people of all ages, have come to the font to be baptized. 
as the waters which claim each person as God's own are placed above their heads, that person and all the world with them hears that they have been claimed eternally in the name of the triune God, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And during that life-giving baptismal sacrament, this entire assembly, whether they're in the room or not, vows to support that newly baptized person as they grow in faith and come to better know the saving grace of the one true God. In the sacraments, in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, which we will share next week, and also whenever the Lord's Supper is shared with those who are homebound, we experience the mysteries of the faith. But still, the full understanding of these mysteries continue to elude us. The creative power of God, the gift of eternal salvation, and the way God works in our daily lives are all mysteries to we human beings. Even God's very name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, contains the deep mystery of the festival we celebrate this day, the one of the Holy, of the Holy Trinity. Perhaps we should admit to ourselves, perhaps we should this day, that we understand the concept of the Trinity best when we realize that we do not understand it at all. We, the people of the Church, simply experience the Trinity and all of God's mysteries. Sisters and brothers, may this day, this time of worship we share with so many of God's mysteries on display, be the time when we stop working so very hard to understand our Creator, and may this time we share together instead become the time when we grow in our faith, the faith of a people in their God, the God who surpasses all human understanding. Amen. Amen.